in all seriousness, uh, when I was asked to preach, I immediately thought about um, what, can, what do people need to hear to start off this new year? Um, what do we all need to hear in this time of just high anxiety and this time of many of us dealing with depression in different ways, many of us seeing sickness all around us and all of us just feeling this mental fatigue because of this global COVID pandemic that we all are dealing with. And I, and I thought about how can I motivate you or encourage you, and I just really felt God leading me to say, just teach them about Jesus. So as we just sung about Jesus and exalted him and praising him, um, I just want to teach you and encourage you to behold Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me um, to Philippians 2 for the reading of God's Word. And I know your announcement bulletin says verse 1, but I'm going to start at verse 2. And this is God's Word. It says, complete, oh, and, and excuse me, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. I know you guys probably have the CSB, but just bear with me as I read from the ESV. Um, and it says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also look to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name Jesus, every knee shall bow in every in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. And I'd like to title this message this morning, Now Behold the Man. Now Behold the Man. Well, one day, an elementary teacher proposed a game to 12 kids of an African tribe. This teacher hid a bunch of candy, a basket of candy, behind these trees in the woods and told the kids that on the count of three, you can take off running, and the first kid who finds the candy, all the candy is yours. The teacher said, one, two, three, go, and to his surprise, the kids then take off running one by one, searching frantically for this candy. Instead, the kids grabbed each other's hands and they began to hop along, searching in the woods for the basket of candy together. And when they found this candy, this, this, this group of kids sat in a circle and they began to enjoy this basket of candy together. And this elementary teacher was so shocked, he said, why did you guys grab each other and, and when you guys could have ran and, and enjoyed all of this candy for yourself? And these kids said, Ubuntu. 
how can one of us be happy if all the other ones are sad? It's also fascinating to know that apartheid, which is a system of segregation that existed in South Africa between 1948 and 1990, separated people by the color of their skin, unjustly oppressed people, and divided a nation. And what helped heal this unfixable nation was the concept of Ubuntu. And Bishop, um, even Bishop Desmond Tutu, who actually just passed away this week, he was, he was one of, of the main leaders leading this reconciliation charge for this undivided country, I mean, for this divided nation, and he drew off the concepts of Ubuntu. Ubuntu is a Zulu word which translates, I am because we are. I am because we are. It goes against an individualistic mindset of working to achieve goals with only yourself in mind. Instead, it guides one's minds to focus on the collective group first, knowing that if the group is good, then I'm good. Ubuntu teaches us as individuals to take our eyes and attention off of ourselves and to think about our neighbor, our brother, our sister, just the same. And I don't know how long this word Ubuntu been around or how long this philosophy has been around, but Paul for sure knew something about it because he is in jail writing to Christians in Philippi, and he says, do you want to know what will make my joy complete? I'm in jail right now. Do you want to know what will make me happier than anything? It's you and you considering each other's more significant than yourselves. He said, he said it's not me getting out of jail and going to an all-inclusive resort that's going to make my joy complete. It's not even you giving me all of the praise and recognition for being in Paul. It's not even me getting everything on my Christmas list, kids. But it's you. It's the people of God laying down their selfish ambitions for the benefit of others. Now, now instead of teaching talking about how we are to um, 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 lay down our selfish ambitions, I want to talk to you about the ultimate act of Ubuntu. I want to tell you about Jesus who is God, but in his love for you and me, gave up his privileges, gave up the blessings and the reward of being the king of heaven, and he chose to suffer as all men and women suffer so that we could experience the blessing of knowing God. And, I, and the title of this sermon is Now Behold the Man because I want us to leave going into this new year not thinking about what we need to do better in 2022, but I want us to start off this year by daily setting our eyes on and beholding the man who is Christ. Amen. And the main idea this morning is this that we are to behold and worship Jesus because he made a way for us to experience the blessing of heaven today. Now, I don't want to jump ahead in a sermon, but I just want to go ahead and tell you that so many times it's so easy for us to think that Jesus came, lived, and died, and rose again to give us our ticket so we can experience heaven one day. But I want us to see that when we behold Jesus, we can experience a piece of heaven today. Which leads me to my first takeaway this morning, that for us to behold Jesus, you have to first stop beholding yourself. 
For us to behold Jesus, we have to stop beholding ourselves. We can't look at Jesus in admiration, wonder, and awe sometimes because we are too busy admiring ourselves. And I don't mean that we are literally holding up a mirror all day, every day, staring into a mirror. Some of you might. I'm not judging you if you do. But to behold something means to look at something as precious and set it apart. To behold something means to go to bed fantasizing about it and and to wake up still dreaming about it. To behold something means to not let anyone get too close because they might damage it. See, we behold that which is most important to us. Just like the rich young ruler in Luke 10 who came to Jesus wanting the gift that Jesus had to offer. And when Jesus told him to sell all that he had, give it to the poor and come and follow him, this rich young ruler refused Jesus, rejected Jesus, and actually walked away sad. Why? Because his riches are what he held most dear and precious. His way of living, his way of life is what he held most dear. He saw Jesus face to face and refused to follow him because the very thing that he was beholding was, was actually was what was preventing him from experiencing the immeasurable worth and value of Jesus. So I want to just take a time right now and ask you, what is it that you're beholding? What consumes your thoughts and and imagination? Is it your bank account increasing in zeros? I know, I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at you. Is it your children's future? Are you consumed with finding love? Where is Jesus in your day-to-day life? I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone, but I do want you to examine your heart. What is it that you are beholding because you can't behold Jesus and experience the blessing of knowing him and behold the world at the same time? And now Paul gives us a reason on why to behold Jesus in verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul says, do nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Am I the only one who have a problem with this? Because I don't know about you. I know that I'm a born-again Christian. I know that I'm, you know, saved by faith, but I still know how selfish I still am. I know how prone I am to defend myself first when someone confronts me. I know how easy my pride and my ego can be stepped on. I know how even as a lover of Jesus, how I think about myself first. So how in the world can you and I do nothing from selfish ambition? Paul gives us the answer. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In humility is the key word. This is the reason why we must behold Jesus. Because when you come in contact with Jesus, you can't leave prideful. When you come in contact with Jesus, you see how sinful and jacked up you are. You see how even as Pastor Josh did the prayer of confession, and you probably 
confess some sins that you have confessed every Sunday for the past year. You see how you continue to fail. You continue to sin, and, and, and there is no reason to boast in yourself. But, oh, my, when you behold Jesus, you come in contact with a God who, who, who is full of love. You come into contact with a God who is kind and who is gracious, who is a forgiving God, and you realize you no longer have to try to earn or, or protect your image because you have been defined by how God sees you. When you behold Jesus, you can't help but think about Romans 8 that says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and no one can separate you from the love of God. And this forms in you a, 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 a humble spirit. And you realize that you are sinful, but you realize God's love is so much greater. And I think, I think a problem for us American Christians is that we love the gospel message. We love to hear we are saved by faith. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love. We love that, 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 that we are loved and forgiven and our salvation is in Jesus. We love that message. But we don't particularly like living out the gospel. Or we don't like how the gospel makes us feel. Um, because we, as we know we're saved by Jesus, we still have this, this thing in our heart and our flesh that makes us want to prove ourselves. We know we can't prove ourselves by this message, but we still wake up in the morning and, and, and feel this, this, this drive in us to, to be better than our neighbor, to, to look down on them because we don't sin like them or we don't sin as much as them. Proving that we are better than them and we try to hide from the sin that exists in our hearts. So we love Jesus and God, but as soon as we stop beholding Jesus, we forget that we are still wretched sinners saved by his amazing grace. And this is the problem that causes so many conflict, so much conflict even in the church. Because we know that we are saved by grace, but we still are living in pride trying to protect our image. We, we can't be wrong because we have to defend ourselves because we fail to live in this humility. And this is why Paul said in humility because it's when we behold Jesus do we find the freedom to not have it right. And yeah, I stand here as a pastor, as a minister, but I am free to say that I am weak, I have flaws, but it's okay because I'm not defined by how you see me, but I'm defined by his righteousness that has been declared over me. And y'all, this week my heart was so blessed. I was just reading um, John 15 because if I can just let you in into my heart. So many days for no reason, I just still wake up feeling this cloud, this burden over me that makes me feel like I have to earn God's love. I take a shower and I just sometimes feel guilty like, I haven't stopped to pray yet. God, God isn't pleased with me. But I began to read John 15, and, and it's the verse, it's the um, famous verse when Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. You can't bear good fruit unless you abide in me. But before Jesus said that, he said, you are already clean because the word I have spoken over you. Now you can abide in me. Now you can bear good fruit, but, but even before you wake up and set your mind on me, Jesus said, I have already declared you clean. 
I have already spoken my love over you. I have already said I accept you, not, not by what you do, not by you coming to me, your, your efforts and your attempts to abide in me. But Jesus says, you are already clean by the words I have spoken. This is why we behold Jesus. But we first have to take our eyes off, off of ourselves and stop beholding us so we can behold Jesus. Now, takeaway number two. Um, this is my favorite part of the sermon almost, so bear with me. Takeaway number two is behold the man who empathizes with your daily struggles. Behold the man who empathizes with your daily struggle and is able to help you. Look again at, at verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in, 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 in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Guys, this, um, it's actually interesting to know that throughout church history, this verse has caused many debates and even church splits. Uh, many historic church leaders have gathered throughout time to debate the nature of Jesus, primarily because of this verse in Philippians 2. Was Jesus really God or was he a creation of God? Was Jesus 100% man or was he even man? Um, Paul said Jesus was in the form of God and that Jesus emptied himself. What does that really mean? So let's really take our time to, to dissect that, if you will. Paul said Jesus was in the form of God. Some take this to say that Jesus isn't God because he is just something that was created in the form of God, so we shouldn't think of Jesus as God. There, there is no trinity because Jesus is less than God. But it's helpful for us to know that the word form in the Greek is the word morphe, which describes the actual substance of something. Morphe describes the real physical existence of something. So this word isn't saying that Jesus resembled God, but it says Jesus, in fact, is the exact imprint, the exact nature, the physical nature of God. And Jesus being God did not count equality with God something to grasp. Again, this statement can be confusing. Jesus didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. It can, it can be read that Jesus is, is saying, that Paul is saying Jesus is less than God. He's, he's not equal with God. But it's, it's important to know that the fuller translation is saying that Jesus didn't consider the privileges of God something to be held on to for his own advantage. Jesus was God and is God and being God, he did not consider the blessings and the benefits of being God something to be held on to just for himself. So guess what he did? He emptied himself by taking on human flesh and becoming a man, going from the form of God to taking the form of a servant. See, when Paul says Jesus emptied himself, he, he is not saying Jesus stopped being God. He said that Jesus being God, he had to empty himself. He, he kept being God, but he took on flesh. It took the form of a servant. That Jesus left the throne room of heaven. 
He, he left this place of harmony and peace. He, he left this beautiful place that eyes have never seen. And, and, and he left these beautiful angelic creatures. And he refused to hold on to the advantages, not thinking about his own interests, but thinking about you and me. Um, he, I just love thinking about the picture of Jesus taking off his, his heavenly robe and taking off his heavenly crowd. And, you know, Jesus was the, was the leader of, 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 of heaven's army, and he left his bodyguards behind. It was like, hey, yeah, good. I got this. I'm about to come down low and take on flesh. And one day, this is a, um, this is a story, um, at Baptist East, Y'all know how crazy and big Baptist East is. If you don't know where you're going, you know how hard it is to get lost. Well, this, this son was at Baptist East trying to find his, his mother's room after surgery, and he pulled up in the parking lot, and it was about 15 different buildings and 100 different parking lots, and he got frustrated. He just parked in the very back, and he didn't know where to go. He just knew he had to go to, to the East Wing. And this car drove by, and he waved down the car and said, excuse me, can you... Um, show me where the east ring, wing is. And the lady in the car said, no problem, I'll walk you there myself. And she parked right beside him, and she began to walk all across the parking lot. And when they finally got to the front of the east wing building, there was an empty parking lot right in front. And it said, reserved for the chief surgeon. And the man jokingly looked at the woman and said, I bet you wish you could have parked right there. And she said, that's actually my parking spot. See, the woman who was guiding him, who parked in the very back, was actually the chief surgeon of the hospital. And she did not take hold of her advantages of being the chief surgeon for the interest of someone else. In essence, this is what the incarnation of Jesus is. That Jesus did not stop being God, just like this woman did not stop being who she was, but not thinking about herself, she thought about him. And Jesus not thinking about himself being God, he thought about you and chose to come down low to save you and me. He came down low. Jesus came down low. So many times we... We love to magnify Jesus as we should. We love to think of Jesus as being high and lifted up. But today, I just want us to take a moment to think about Jesus coming down low and what that means for you and me. I can't think about Hebrews 4.15, which says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. This is the good news this morning. This is the good news, whether you believe it or not. That Jesus, God in the flesh, emptied himself, came down low from heaven, so now we have a great high priest. That's because he came down low, he is able to empathize with all of our struggles, our burdens, our temptations, and our fears. Yeah, we do not have a Savior that we are just that we just have to praise, but we have a Savior who sees you and knows you and knows your struggles, knows what you are going through, and not only does he knows them, but he's able to help them. A couple years ago, um, I used to be in college ministry, and a part um, of my job 
what, what my job was to walk on, on the college campus and, and share the gospel and evangelize lost students and try to get them to accept faith. But back then, I, I only thought of Jesus as being our ticket into heaven. But now I have a more complete picture understanding of who Jesus is. Yes, Jesus died for my sins so I, I can be forgiven, so I can spend eternity with God. But Jesus came and died to help me walk this thing called life. That, that, that Jesus knows exactly everything I'm going through. Jesus knows, um, Jesus was once a teenager, if y'all didn't know that. He, he just wasn't born and didn't go straight to the cross. He, he actually lived a life. He was a teenager. He knew what it was like to grow up with the pressures of of trying to please your parents. Many uh, scholars speculate that Joseph is not mentioned at the cross because Jesus died. So Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, probably passed away. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Jesus knows what it's like to go to the holidays and be with the family but still be sad because the holiday is just not the same no more because dad's gone. Jesus knows what it's like to be surrounded by friends but still feel lonely. Just like he was surrounded by his disciples and they couldn't even stay up with him in his time of need. Jesus knows what it's like to fear for your parents as he was hanging from the cross. He looked down and said, man, take care of my mom. He knows what it's like to deal with the everyday pressures of this world. I can keep going on and on, but I'm just trying to get you to see that no matter what your fears, your failures, your shame, Jesus knows and understands. How do I know? Because Jesus emptied himself by taking on flesh. So now we have a high priest. We have a friend who empathizes with our weaknesses. So let's behold Jesus. Let's behold the man who is able to help us in our time of need. Um, true story. One day when I was, walking, when I was working on the college campus as a, as a minister, I was approached by, a cop, by an army recruiter. Anybody been approached by one of them dudes? They have the gift of gab, and they are persistent. He, he, was, he would not let me leave without signing up for the Army. Like, I was like, hey, man, I'm trying. It's my lunch break, man. And um, in the middle of the hallway, he came up to me and said, what you do? I said, I'm a college minister. He said, perfect. We need an Army chaplain. If you sign this paper right here, you're going to get a signing bonus of $50,000. In two weeks, you'll get $15,000 more. You get the um, 0% down payment on your house. He just started going on with all the benefits. I'm like, for real? $50,000? $15,000 next week? This was so. Then I asked a very important question. I said, um, do I got to go do basic training? He said, duh. He said, don't you want to know what the people you're going to be ministering to have gone through? I said, well, man, you, you almost had me, but at this point in my life, I just can't be going through basic training. My knee's bad from football. I'm, I'm sorry. You almost had me. But I want us to see that Jesus is not only the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, but he is our great high priest who knows exactly what, what we have gone through or are going through because he's, he's went through it himself. This is why we are to behold Jesus. And now finally, our last takeaway this morning. Um, behold the man who is exalted above all and is to, to be worshipped. 
Behold the man who is exalted above all and is to be worshipped. Let's look finally at verse 9. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord. I'm reading one more time. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, we already know what Jesus has done. I don't need to keep telling y'all that Jesus Christ Christ being God, came down low, took on flesh, chose to die, not just die any type of death, but he chose to die on the cross. He chose to take your place, my place on that cross so that we could live. And just in case you don't know, as it says, that every knee will bow down. Just in case you forgot what it means to bow down to someone, let me remind you. When you bow down to something, it, it means you are pledging your allegiance to. You're submitting your will to. You're submitting your desires to this. You're saying, I'm acknowledging your greatness. And God's word says, whether you choose to or not, every knee will bow down and confess that Jesus is Lord because of who he is and what he has already done. And before I leave, I don't know you and you don't know me. I don't know what this church may struggle with. But I do know that we live in a progressive culture that, 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 that says we have to be inclusive. And we have to accept anyone's truth as truth. We now live in a culture where it says to be a morally good person, I have to accept anyone's lifestyle or beliefs as truth. And if I choose to say Jesus is that Jesus is what he says he is, I'm wrong. We even have Christians and poor pits preaching that Jesus is not the only way only to accept their friend's lifestyle that is contrary to the Bible. And I'm not trying to judge or attack anyone, but I'm just trying to say that there is no other name given to most men that, by which we are saved. That, 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 that Paul didn't say it's, it's at the name Buddha or Muhammad. But he said it's at the name Jesus. Paul didn't say it's at the name of a political party, but he said it's at the name Jesus. He didn't say it's at the name of your favorite president, but he said it's at the name Jesus. Everyone willingly or unwillingly will bow down today or tomorrow and confess that Jesus is Lord. That the creator of the universe, the giver of life, the one who has the whole world in his hands, the one who is able to give power, life, and joy, he, the one who is able to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness, is at the name Jesus. And before I sit down, everywhere I go, I say, my name is Sir Gregory, and I've heard the same joke over a thousand times in my life. Are you a knight? <laughs> you know, no, I'm not a knight. And people always ask me, where did you get the name Sir Gregory? Why did your parents name you Sir Gregory? But let me tell you, my dad's name was actually Gregory. And from the time he was a little boy, he always told his family and friends that my first son's name was going to be Sir Gregory. So when people refer to him just by calling his name, 
they are showing respect. And when he met my mom, he said, hey, hey I love you, but my first son's name is going to be Sir Gregory. <laughs> she said, okay, and, and true story, I was in college in Arkansas, across state lines, walking in Walmart. One of my friends called my name. This random man said, what's your name? I said, Sir Gregory. He said, are you from Memphis, Tennessee? I said, yes. He said, did your dad go to Southside? I said, yes. Um, did he grow up on this street? I said, yes. He said, oh, my God. I can't believe he did it. <laughs> and so I'm like, man, who is this crazy dude who know everything about me? He said, I grew up with your dad, and from the time we was little boys, he always said, I'm going to name my son Sir Gregory. I can't believe he actually did it. And, and when I was about four years old, my dad got out of level with me, and he said, I named you Sir Gregory because it really means something. It's not just a name. He, he said, you are to be a man of respect. And he said, you are to carry and live in such a way that people demand respect from you. I mean, you demand respect from people just by the way you live your life. And I'm saying this to say that I'm, 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 I'm awfully proud of my name. I'm so proud of my name that my wife and I are expecting a boy next month, and we're going to name him Sir. And that's why I told my wife, I told my wife the same thing. I said, this is a non-negotiable. I don't do this a lot, but my son's name will be Sir. But, but as proud of my name I am, it wasn't the name Sir that saved me. It, it wasn't the name Sir that, that delivered me from my sins. It wasn't the name Sir that when my father passed away that kept me and my family. It wasn't the name Sir that, that, that keeps me and my wife now through the storms of life. But it's by the name that's above every name and that name is Jesus. It's by the name that's above every name. That when we call on this name, we can find peace. It's, it's when we call on this name, can we find joy and hope in hopeless situations. It's at the name Jesus. Jesus is the God of Ubuntu who not only thinks about himself but has thought about you and said, I love you so much that I'm going to die in your place. That Jesus is the God that, that I just wanted to take a minute to really comprehend his love just a little bit further. Psalms 103 says that my love is from everlasting to everlasting. Do we know what that means? It means that my love is from eternity to eternity. What does that mean? It means that my love doesn't have a day that it began nor a day that it ends. That means I love you more than you ever know and I will never stop loving you, my child. Jesus is this God. He is the one that, that, that gives us hope to walk out of these doors no matter what is going on in Colorado, no matter what is going on in Memphis, no matter what is going on in our family, and live with joy, hope, and peace. Amen. So may we stop running to the idols of this world and really run to and behold Jesus, the God who walks with us. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that even as we just think about Advent season and, and the coming of a child, Lord, we thank you for being the God who walks with us. And I thank you for being a God who is not too high, Lord, that, that we can't touch you, but you are a God that we can actually touch. Who touches us, who holds us, who comforts us, who guides us, who teaches us, who loves us. So, God, I just pray, Lord, as Paul prayed, 
in Ephesians, Lord, that we can comprehend more and more, just a little bit, how much we are loved by you. Lord, let us behold you, Lord. Show us our sins. Show us our faults. Lead us in humility, but Lord, lead us towards our sin, Lord, that we may see how great you are. Not that we be that we may be left in our shame and our guilt of our sin, but Lord, that we may see how we are forgiven, that we may be freely to love our neighbors. Lord, help us as we need you. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.